Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 36. In our series on Isaiah, we come to one of the most dramatic scenes in Scripture. It involves a trial of faith. When the chips are down, will we trust the Lord? Uh, will we rely on Him or will we uh, come up with our own strategy? It starts off with the invasion of Judah by Assyria. Assyria's last great king was Sennacherib. In uh, verse 1 of Isaiah 36, it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the defense cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem under King Hezekiah with a great army. Now you have a several parallel accounts of this. For instance, uh, Sennacherib himself wrote an account of this, which had been discovered by the archaeologists. And uh, it's interesting to read his account. He says, as for Hezekiah, and the Judean who had not submitted unto my yoke, 46 of his strong walled cities and the small cities that are in their environs, which were without number, by piling up siege ramps, bringing near battering rams, the battling of foot soldiers, mines, sapworks, and supplements of siege, I besieged and conquered 200,000, 140 people, young and old, male and female, horses, mules, asses, camels, oxen, and small cattle, which were out without number from their midst, I brought out and counted as spoil. Himself, Hezekiah, like a bird in a cage, in the midst of Jerusalem, his capital city, I shut up. Earthworks against him I raised. So on. Well, we have that account, Sennacherib's. We have Isaiah's account. We have an account in Second Kings 18, where we have the reign of Sennacherib described. And uh, we also have Second Chronicles describing this in Second Chronicles 32. When we read the various accounts uh, in the scriptures, we find that Hezekiah had previously paid tribute to Assyria, but then he decided not to had refused to pay it, but then changed his mind. Sent the payment, but Sennacherib invaded anyway. And the present situation, Sennacherib is besieging Lachish, a large city south of Jerusalem, but he sends his commanding general, Rabshakeh, and that's the name of the office, not a person, the Rabshakeh, to Jerusalem with a large army. And uh, there's a communication from Rakshakik to Hezekiah, verse 3. Uh, you have the officials coming forth from uh, Hezekiah, Elakim, and uh, Shebna. And Rabshakik said unto them, Say ye now to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Who are you trusting in that you dare? Rebel against me. Are you trusting in Egypt? In verse 6. 
And lo, thou trustest in the staff of this broken reed on Egypt. That won't help you. Are you trusting in Jehovah, the Lord, your Lord? In verse 7, But if thou say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away? He misunderstood. He said, If you trust in the Lord, you've angered the Lord because you've torn down his worship places. Well, what he's referring to when Hezekiah first came to the throne... Religious conditions in Israel were terrible. They were worshiping false idols. The house of the Lord was closed up. The priests had abandoned uh, the whole thing and were working in the fields. And one of Hezekiah's first acts when he came to the throne was to call the priests together and say, we're going to reinstitute the worship of the Lord. I want you to open the house. I want you to carry the trash out. I want you to institute the sacrifices And then he proceeded to tear down the false altars to the false gods around Jerusalem and really instituted reformation. But the Assyrians misunderstood this. They thought that he had torn down the worship of Jehovah. Now, when we want to have the Lord's help or when we want to be right with the Lord, the starting place is where Hezekiah started, namely to deal with the false idols in our lives. Think of all the false idols of the society around us. Pleasure, materialism, power, all the things that people worship, strive after, compromise on their conscience in order to obtain. Personal happiness, that's an idol. Don't you have a right to be happy? No, you don't have a right to be happy. You don't have any rights except the right that God gives. And if obeying him requires you to go through some pretty miserable circumstances, then you have to obey him. Men have been fed to the lions for years in order to obey God. Men have gone to prison. Men have served in slave labor camps. You don't have a right to be happy. Another aspect of getting right with God, of course, is to institute the sacrifice in my life. Namely, that sacrifice pointed toward the true sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the real lamb who would die for our sins. And through faith in him as our Savior, the Son of God, who paid in full for our sins, we can be right with God. We can be forgiven and come into a personal relationship. Repentance and faith. Surrender of my will to God's will where I purpose to obey Him come what may. That's repentance. And trust in Christ as my only way of approaching God. So that's what He does here. And that's how we start in our walk with God. Now, the Rob Shockick goes on to say, Why, it's the Lord Himself who sent me. In uh, verse 10, Am I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said unto me, Go up against this land and destroy it. You know, there's an element of truth in that, although he didn't realize it. The Lord had sent the Assyrians. You read earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10, where God refers to Assyria as 
the rod of my anger, the staff in their hand is mine indignation. God says, I'm sending the Assyrian against a hypocritical people, the people of my wrath. His own nation, Israel, were the people of his wrath, his anger, because of their hypocrisy. Uh, now, Hezekiah truly had uh, brought in Reformation, and some of the people had joined wholeheartedly in this, but a great majority of the people were only giving lip service. And God was using the Assyrians to chasten his people, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He chastens us to move us from our hypocrisy to heart, surrender, and faith in him. Now, what does Hezekiah do at this point when he's threatened by this large Assyrian army? Well, he's already done certain things as we read the parallel passages in Chronicles and Kings. He had built up uh, the fortifications around Jerusalem. And he had urged his people to trust in the Lord. In Second Chronicles chapter 32, here's the way he put it to them in verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all of the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And so the people rested themselves upon Hezekiah's word. He encouraged them. But notice what he does now in chapter 37, verse 1. He humbles himself before the Lord. came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it, he rent his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, went into the house of the Lord. He seeks word from the Lord, like we would seek an answer in Scripture. He seeks it from the prophet Isaiah. In verse 2, uh, he sent Elakim and Shebna unto Isaiah the prophet. And uh, verse 4, it may be that the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, he says to Isaiah, whom the king of Assyria has sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God has heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer, Isaiah, for the remnant that is left. Now remember, according to Sennacherib, he'd taken 46 cities at this point. And now he's besieging the capital, Jerusalem. But notice what Hezekiah does now. Uh, he <clears throat> goes to the Lord, as we said, and... The Lord responds in verse 6, Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say to your master, thus says the Lord, Be not afraid of the words thou hast heard. Behold, I will send a blast upon him. He shall hear a rumor return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna. Here's another city. The king of Assyria, who's down south warring against Lachish, has, has left and gone to attack another city. The commanding general hears about this and leaves besiegement of Jerusalem temporarily and goes down to join him in his battle against Libna. But then something interesting happens. You have Ethiopia 
beginning to march against Assyria. In uh, verse 9 of chapter 37, Rabshakeh heard say concerning Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, he has come forth to make war against thee. And when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah. Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. He moves back in uh, to besiege Jerusalem. He feels if the Ethiopians are marching, I must have Jerusalem with me. I can't have both against me at this point. So I must bring about the surrender of Jerusalem immediately. And uh, he reinstitutes the siege of Jerusalem, sending a messenger to Hezekiah. Don't let the Lord deceive you that he will deliver you. Verse 11, Behold, hast thou heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, which my fathers have destroyed? No other god was able to deliver its city, and your god won't be able to deliver yours. Hezekiah again goes before the Lord. In verse 14 of chapter 37, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, this letter from Rabshakeh. Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread the letter before the Lord. He goes to the temple and he spreads that letter out. He says, Lord, did you read this? The Lord knows what's in the letter, doesn't he? That's a symbolic action. That's childlike trust. Lord, look at here. What am I going to do with this? He said it's foolish to trust in you. I don't think it's foolish to trust in you. I read where an eminent man said that as he thought back over his life, one of the most meaningful things that had ever happened to him was one day when he's in a crowded city, uh, getting ready to cross a street with a lot of traffic, and suddenly there was a little boy standing on the street corner beside him. He didn't know the little boy. The little boy didn't know him. All this traffic out there, and the little boy looks up at him and reaches up and puts his hand, his little hand, in the man's big hand. He said, Sir, would you please take me across the street? And he said, That child's trust in him was so meaningful to him. His, his heart leaped with joy in, in leading him across that street Looking back on it, that was one of the most joyful events of his life. Well, that's what, uh, that's what Hezekiah does. He just takes that letter and reads it and lifts up his hand and says, God, would you take me across this crowded street? I don't think I can make it alone. Have you done that? Whatever your problem is, that's, that's the solution. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to Him in prayer. He prays. Verse 15, Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying, Oh, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, 
Thou art the God, even thou alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Thou hast made heaven and earth. Verse 18, Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their countries, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands. Notice his uh, terms that he uses for God, his uh, designations. God of Israel. What's this? This is, he's reminding himself and he's reminding God of their relationship. Faith is, faith is building itself up in the face of this trial of faith as he reflects on who God is. God is the God of Israel. We are in a covenant relation with you. You committed yourself to us. We would be your people. You would be our God. He was the Lord of hosts, the mighty God, with millions of angels at his command. Uh, he uh, was the one who created heaven and earth and controls them. And as he, he's not just formally reciting titles, he's reminding himself of who God is, and he's reminding God of his covenant promises to Israel. And notice uh, his uh, description of God in verse 16. God of Israel that dwellest between the cherubims. The cherubims were uh, on the top of the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the box there in the innermost part of the temple, the holiest of all that symbolized the presence of God. God's presence was manifested there in a supernatural way by what was called the Shekinah glory. That cloud that led them in the wilderness, settled in the temple, settled in the holiest of all, and shone out from between uh, the cherubim on the top of the mercy seat there. God is present everywhere, but God manifested his presence in Israel in a particular way. God, you dwell in this city that's under besiegement that the Rob Shockick said he's going to destroy. <laughs> Sennacherib says, I set up Hezekiah in Jerusalem, his capital city, like a bird in a cage. What he didn't know was God was in the cage too. He hadn't really counted that the maker of heaven and earth was there also. What does Hezekiah want God to do? Notice he expresses his desire. In uh, verse 17, Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. See this thing, Lord. Act as though you see it. And that God would save, verse 20, Now therefore, Lord our God, save us from his hand. You know, that's what he didn't say. He didn't say, Lord, your will be done. You want us wiped out? Wipe us out. Now, there's a time and a place to pray, thy will be done. But there's a time and a place to say, here's what I'd like you to do. And that's what he does, isn't it? P.T. Foresight, in his little book, The Soul of Prayer, says, we say too soon, thy will be done. 
And too ready acceptance of a situation as his will often means feebleness or sloth on our part. It may be his will that we surmount his will. It may be his higher will that we resist his lower. Prayer may really change the will of God, or if not his will, his intention or his dealings with us. It may, like other human energies of godly sort, take the form of resisting the will of God. Resisting his will may be doing his will. Prayer is not merely the laying of the head on the divine bosom in trust and surrender. That may have its place, but it's not the nerve and soul of prayer. Prayer is an encounter of wills until one or the other gives way. It's a cause acting on the course of God's world. Of course, also, there is always behind all the readiness to accept God's will without a murmur when it is perfectly evident and final. But he tells God what he wants him to do. Save us. Act. I read uh, the account of an event that took place in World War II. It involved the 137th uh, Infantry Division, excuse me, the 30, 35th Infantry Division, the 137th Entry, Infantry Company 1. They were ordered uh, to take the city of Ossenburg, Germany, where you had a plant manufacturing war material. They were ordered out to do that on January the 24th. 1945, oh, excuse me, March 9th, 1945. And uh, they couldn't get their act together and move out in time, and so another company was ordered to proceed ahead of them. Then word came to Company 1 that that first company had been wiped out, and they were to take their place. Spencer January, 24-year-old, in that army, tells a story. Uh, the company one moved up, and as they approached where the first company had been wiped out, they just saw bodies everywhere. There was an open field about 200 yards that you had to cross in order to move toward Ossenburg. There were three machine guns that were positioned in such a way that they could cover that field and the American tanks couldn't get at them. They were protected in a way. If they moved across that field, every one of their company was going to be killed too. And the order came to move out. He prayed. He said, please, God, do something. Just as the soldier ahead of him took a step, something to the left caught Spencer's eye. He stopped and stared in amazement. A cloud, a white fluffy cloud had appeared out of nowhere and settled to the ground, completely obscuring the Germans' line of fire. Taking advantage of this miraculous turn of events, Spencer and his fellow soldiers bolted into the clearing, ran for their lives, safe in the sheltering woods on the other side. Spencer hid behind a tree and watched as the last American soldier raced toward his comrades in the woods. The instant the soldier scrambled to safety, the, the cloud vanished. The Germans, thinking the Americans were still in their previous position, radioed to their artillery and they blew that position up. Two weeks later, a letter arrived from Spencer's mother back in the States. She said, son, what in the world was happening on such and such a day, the very day we're talking about? You remember Sister Tankersley in our church? She called me that morning 
from the defense plant where she worked. She told me the Lord had awakened her at 1 o'clock to pray about you. She prayed earnestly until 6 in the morning. And uh, she told me the last thing she prayed before getting off her knees was, Lord, whatever danger Spencer is in, just cover him with a cloud. You remember Dunkirk? Dunkirk, where Britain had to evacuate her soldiers from the continent. And the Luftwaffe had sitting ducks. They could just go in and wipe out all those soldiers on the beach waiting to be evacuated. But England got down on her knees. And cloud coverage came in and settled right over the coast there. So that the Luftwaffe couldn't fly and every boat that could sail or run in England got into the channel and went across and picked up those soldiers and brought them back. And then the cloud coverage lifted. Act, save. That was his prayer. And that God would show that he was the true God. Verse 20. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. How does God respond to Hezekiah's prayer? And uh, verse 21, Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Whereas thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, since you prayed, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, hath despised thee, and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Zion is Jerusalem, and she will... Be secure, and she can laugh at you. You will not molest her. She will remain a virgin. The city would be secure. And God took this as a personal affront. Verse 23, Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? Even the Holy One of Israel. And uh, the providence of God. In verse 26, Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it? And of ancient times that I formed it, have I not brought it to pass that thou shouldst be to lay waste defense cities and ruinous heaps? Therefore their inhabitants were of small power. Assyria, don't you understand that I'm the one that gave you power to conquer these other nations? You didn't do it in your own strength. You were carrying out my assignment. God's providence. The security of the city of Jerusalem in verse 33. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shields, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, the same shall he return. He shall not come into this city, for I will defend this city to save it for my own name's sake and for my servant David's sake. Verse 36, Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of Assyrians 185,000 troops that very night. Verse 37, So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, I guess he did, and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the house of his God, that his sons smote him with a sword. That was 20 years later that they killed him. Well, what a tremendous event. What a tremendous story. What a, 
how up to date it is in a sense. Uh, here we have the secret of how you and I are to conduct our lives and have God's power. Number one, uh, we obey as Hezekiah had obeyed and had brought about a reformation in the nation. We bring about a reformation in our lives. We deal with the idols in our lives. That's the start of seeing God act on behalf of us in our need. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Then we trust God as we face that crowded street. We reach up and put our hand in His and we say, Lord, I need you to escort me through this situation. Whether it's a marriage problem, whether it's a financial problem in your business, whatever it is, emotional problem, you can't control your emotions, you can't deal with that drinking problem in your life or that habit of lust or whatever it is. You do what you can do, and He expects you to do what you can do, just as He fortified the city. Then you put your hand up there in His and say, Lord, Escort me through this crowded city. And you pray. God says, because you prayed, I'm going to do this. Speaks of the security of God's people. But it also speaks of the folly of resisting God. One angel, one night, wipes out 185,000, just like that. What folly to resist God. And either we submit our wills to Jesus Christ and walk with Christ, or we are resisting God. We're either like Hezekiah or we're like Sennacherib. We're in one of the two camps. Now, we may not be walking with God as closely as Hezekiah was, and we may not be resisting God as strongly as Sennacherib was. But we're in one of those two camps. Jesus told a parable in which the citizens of a nobleman's kingdom shook their fist and they said, we will not have this man rule over us. And if you have not become a Christian, if you have not submitted your will to Jesus Christ, in effect, that's what you're saying to him. I will not be ruled by you. I will live my life my way. And you're on the side of Sennacherib. And it's folly to resist God. Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, uh, are you in uh, uh, besiegement? Is there some real battleground in your life and you're having trouble? Follow the process that Hezekiah followed. Deal with those false idols. Put your hand in God's hand and uh, look to Him. Do what you can do in the situation, but pray to Him and trust Him to lead you across the traffic in the street. If you've never made that initial commitment where you received a master surrendering your will to Jesus Christ and trusted him to forgive you on the basis of his death for your sins, pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, too long I've resisted you. What folly it is. And Lord, I surrender my will. Come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Amen.